And good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or physician, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Welcome everybody to yet another episode of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, one where I'm going to be diving into two of the most critical keys for you to address with your associates. I've taken a lot of calls and a lot of Zoom meetings recently, and I think a lot of you are playing a little bit of defense, if I'm being honest, and it's time we start to shift some of that debate back into your corner. So get your pad and pen ready. This will be a note-taking episode. And of course, brew another cup of that wonderful Mila coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Welcome, everybody, once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. I appreciate a little bit of your time this morning, this evening, this afternoon, wherever you are and whatever you happen to be doing. This is another episode that centers around the dynamic with associates. And I'm basically building this episode off of several calls and meetings that I've had recently um, with either current clients or prospective clients uh, around the subject of associates and partnerships. You've heard us talk ad nauseum about, uh, you know, partnerships being uh, an associate equity, especially being the number one challenge of building a group practice. And I think you've all heard me say several times uh, by this point, that it's the number one problem, whether you've got two locations or 1,200 locations. It's the same up and down the food chain. And many of you are in your early stages of building a group practice, and you are just trying to transition out of a clinical role into a CEO role. You are trying to source acquisitions uh, for your next location. You are trying to close on those acquisitions. You're trying to integrate them. You're trying to scale the business. You are wearing 100 hats at the same time, and it is a daunting proposition. And far too many of you are operating under the mindset that I will address the associate equity issue once I reach some certain size and scale. It could be a revenue number. It could be a location number. It could be an EBITDA number. It could be any number of um, objective criteria, but you're thinking that you can only start to address the associate issue at that point in time. And specifically, I'm talking about associates having the opportunity to either buy in or earn into the business. And I understand probably why you're thinking about it in those terms. You're thinking about it in those terms for two reasons. One, you feel like the business has to be some level of of size and scale before the associate equity piece really matters. That's the first thing. The second thing that kind of comes along with that is, rightly, you think that I don't want to bring in any minority partners until the business values at a certain level and it's It's worth it for me to do so to compensate me for the risk that I've taken. 
I don't think you're wrong in either one of those um, uh, thought processes. The challenge is your associates are thinking about it far sooner than you are, and you're leaving it unaddressed with them. And what is happening is they're thinking about it. They're thinking about it when they probably join your business. They're thinking about it in the early stages of evaluating your business. Hey, is this a place I'd like to continue to work in a place where I could see myself working for the rest of my career? They're thinking about it long before you bring it up. And because you're not bringing it up, they are. And when they bring it up to you, the question of, I'd like to become a partner, is that going to happen? Do I have the opportunity here? What does it look like? You know, they've thought about it for a long time. They're bringing it up to you and basically point blanking you with it. And you're now either forced to address it when they bring it up and your head might not be in the right space. Um, it may not be the appropriate point in time for you. Uh, there may be a lot of other unaddressed issues that you feel like you have to solve, but you don't want to air them right there at that point in the conversation with the associate. These are all things that you are allowing them to basically initiate the debate. And that's a bad place for you to be in initially early on. You are better off bringing this up, controlling the debate, and taking the initiative, even if you don't have the solution in place. And this is something we talk about with our consulting clients a lot of times, and, and we call it getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Getting comfortable being uncomfortable. To bring up the associate opportunity, question, topic, subject, doesn't mean that you have to have the cake fully baked. Quite the contrary, most of you don't. It also doesn't mean that you have to commit to something that's not even a reality just yet. Again, most of you don't. It is okay to start that conversation, but you don't have to start it with the idea that you have to finish it right then and there. Okay, so let's think through this a little bit because far too many of you are simply playing defense. You're letting your associates uh, take the initiative, control the debate. And when that happens, the rope starts to unravel and you lose control of the process. I don't want that to happen for you. And we are seeing this frequently now. So let's kind of unpack some of these things. First and foremost, if you are the one that simply brings up an open-ended question at a one-on-one a -on -one meeting or a, uh, you know, a, a mid-year review or you know, a conversation that maybe you, you take your associates out to dinner or lunch or breakfast or something one-on-one, -on -one, um, and you do that with each of them over the course of the year, just to kind of a check-in with them, right? I mean, this is something that that you're probably going to schedule. Hey, how are things going? What can I do to support you? What do you like about working here? What are some of the challenges? What are some of the things we need to work on together? How do you see your role in the business evolving over the next six to 12 months or so? Let me, let me get inside your head. Tell me some of your thought process. You know, those are healthy conversations to have, and you're usually going to have them outside of the office environment. Take away a little bit of the formality behind it, 
but hey, let's just let's talk, you know, about bus- being business colleagues here, clinical colleagues. Like what what do we see unfolding and everything? So it's a healthy, open-ended, exploratory type of a conversation to have. And in that context, when we're just talking open-endedly and hypothetically and forward-looking, that would be a good time to bring up, what do you think about possibly uh, becoming a partner here? Could you see that happening for you? Um, Is that something you're interested in? You know, these are are things that are open-ended questions for you to ask, to gauge what their mindset is, and, and to a degree, their level of commitment. You know, if they say, look, I'd you know, I don't really care about partnership. I love working here, but I, I, I'd like to scale back from four days to two days a week because I'm about to start a family or something like that. Now you're able to understand what's going on in their head and where they want to be. Okay, let's create the environment that enables that, that fulfills that and keeps you happy here because I love you being part of the team uh, and I love the work that you do from a clinical context. You're great with our patients. Okay. The other, the flip side of that is, yeah, you know, I, I love working here. I like working for you. I, I feel like I've got a lot of opportunity for growth and I'd love to be part of the success that you're creating. I'd love to be a partner sometime down the road or hopefully sooner rather than later. You know, that that's a great answer to get. These are things we're just talking collaboratively about. I'm trying to understand where your head's at and what your desires are in terms of potential partnership you want to pre-qualify them from this around this type of partnership mindset and if you do it proactively that means you get them thinking and you're initiating the debate and kind of controlling it okay i'm not making any promises today you know we're working on a lot of things but it's good for me to know and if that's really where you want to be then I would love uh, to make that happen for you. Just know that you know this is the first of a longer discussion that we're going to have that'll that'll play out hopefully sometime in the not too distant future. But I just want to see where your head's at with it. And that's that's great information. We're going to continue the conversation down the road. So I think that's a very healthy approach to take for both parties, especially if your associates tend to skew on the the younger side of the spectrum. The two things that you really want to think about here, and this counts for both compensation and equity, um, meaning ownership, compensation and ownership, you always want to qualify what their expectations are around dollars and percentages. You always want to qualify what their expectations are around dollars and percentages. So let me unpack this a little bit for you, because this is a further part of the conversation that you can have when you initially bring it up if you want, or it might be a secondary conversation you have um, three to six months down the road or something like that. This is also a conversation you should be comfortable having if somebody initiates the conversation with you. Because when they initiate the conversation with you, they, once again, are the initiator of it. 
They're controlling the debate and you're kind of playing, you're reacting to them. You're playing a little bit of defense and I would rather you not find yourself in that position. But if you do, here's how to kind of joust with them a little bit. All right. This is critically important. So you hear us talk about compensation uh, and specifically on the recruiting trail. All right. Let me, let me address both the equity, the ownership partnership piece and the compensation piece that are uh, the same train of thought. And I want this to be relatable on recruiting trail as well as partnership conversations. So when you're on the recruiting trail and someone uh, says, you know, I, you know, I'd love to come work with you. I'm evaluating a couple of different options. Uh, you know, the, the group down the road pays 35% of collections. Uh, what is your clinical compensation rate? And you say 30% and you don't say anything else then in isolation, they're left to conclude that the other offer is a better offer because they pay a higher clinical compensation rate, 35 versus 30%, right? We all fall into that trap around compensation. You hear me say often that you can't spend a compensation rate, you can only spend dollars. So how do we relate that compensation rate to income for the associate? If the other uh, group down the road pays 35% of collections and their uh, uh, average associate collects $500,000, well, now we can translate that into income. 35% of $500,000, about $165,000 of income derived from clinical services. On the other hand, if you pay 30% of collections and your average associate collects a million dollars, 30% of a million is $300,000. Which would you rather have? $300,000 of income or $165,000 of income? I think we'd all say $300,000 more than likely. So how do we relate 30% versus 35% to income? How do we solve for certainty in that respect? You've heard us talk about this on the recruiting trail because this is one of the first things you confront when it comes to your clinical compensation rate and being able to concretely relate it to income potential for the associate. You are solving for certainty. You're creating clarity. Critically important. Let's do the same thing for partnerships, for equity, for buy-ins or you know, potentially earn-ins. This typically tilts more toward the buy-in part of the conversation. So I'm going to kind of stick with that context. So here we go. We're either having our second conversation or a subsequent conversation with a, an associate where we initiated the conversation after, you know, having lunch with them or something talking about them, you know, fitting in with our group, becoming a partner down the road. They're, they express some interest in it. Um, or Potentially, this is one where we didn't bring it up. We were kind of sitting on our hands, and one day the associate brought it up to us, and it kind of took us aback and put us on our heels a little bit. You know, they've expressed interest in becoming a partner. If they're expressing interest in that, chances are it's been brewing for a while. They were waiting for you to bring it up. You didn't. They finally got up the, um, the, the confidence to do so, and now they pulled the pin on the hand grenade. They've been thinking about it for a while, building up the courage to have this conversation with you. And now your head's somewhere off in a different 
space, worried about something different, and they point blank you on the partnership piece. You're playing a little bit of defense and you weren't ready for it. So you didn't have all your thoughts collected. Okay, how are we going to deal with it? Well, thanks, Mr. or Mrs. Associate, Dr. Associate. I appreciate you bringing it up to me. Um, I have been thinking about this a little bit, uh, and it is something that I want to create in the business where I do bring in others into the ownership structure of the business. Ours is a growing group practice. It's moderately successful right now, and I think it has a lot of upside in the future based on your contribution and what we're building. I really believe in the outcomes that we're creating, and I'd like to have others be along for the ride on that. So philosophically, I think we're in sync you know, with, uh, with me not being the sole owner of the business, but bringing in you know, other associates into the ownership structure over some period of time. And I, I, I love the work that you're doing. I love the way you handle the staff. I love the way you handle patients. Um, I can see you being a contributing member uh, and potentially an owner of the business for a long time to come. I don't have the structure in place yet. I'm going to evaluate several different opportunities with that. But I'm curious, if you want to be an owner in the business, what does that mean to you? And when I ask, what does that mean to you? I, I, I mean, specifically, either in terms of dollars or percent, because ours is a, a group practice. It's not a traditional solo practice. It's a, a growing group practice. Uh, and there may be different options for you to either buy in or earn in to the business or maybe even a combination of both. I'm just not sure yet. And I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, if you're only thinking about this from a buy-in at least, what is it, you know, how are you thinking about it in terms of dollars and percentages? Do you want to be a 50-50 partner? Do you want to be a 10% partner? Do you want to take on uh, a loan for a couple of million dollars or a couple of hundred thousand dollars, or are you going to fund it out of cash, or is it going to be a? Are you going to borrow money from a bank to do it? What's your thought process there? Or have have you gone that down the road that far yet? Hey, it's Perrin. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to learn more in depth about partnerships and associates, be sure to download our white paper called "Creating Sustainable Success." in attracting and retaining associates. And if you want to learn more granular detail about buy-in and earn-in structures, as well as the legal aspects required to facilitate all of it, you should join us in Scottsdale on October 11th through 13th for our Scaling from Clinician to CEO Summit, because there'll be three different presentations dealing with all of that. And you'll have access to some incredibly bright minds over those three days. I'll drop a link in the show note for both the white paper and the registration for the conference to make it easy on you. Now, back to the show. And I think at that point, when you push it back on them and say, what are your expectations around percentages and dollars, it kind of puts the, the hot potato back in their lap. And it also allows you to understand what, how they are approaching this subject 
from a, um, I'll just say a, a rationality standpoint, candidly. If you've got a group practice and it's multiple locations and, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in EBITDA or a million dollars in EBITDA or something like that, or maybe you don't even know the valuation of the business, but chances are if it's, if it's a couple locations and, you know, a couple hundred thousand in EBITDA or a million in EBITDA, you're, you're talking about a business that's, you know, going to be somewhere probably between five to $10 million in value. Um, at least the way it's constituted right now. Um, so if, if I come to you as your associate and say, Hey, I'd, you know, I'd like to be a partner and I want to be your 50, 50 partner. Well, that's understandable because I probably am not too far out of, uh, out of dental school. And I was taught in dental school about partnerships from a traditional methodology meaning like a solo practice and I'm buying into a 50% level with a senior founder of the, the practice. And that's usually a pretty uh, easy transaction to reconcile based on a solo practice in terms of the valuation and, and the percentage there. So that's the mindset I'm coming to with it. That mindset is challenging if somebody wants to be your 50-50 partner and your business values at $8 million. Because they're not going to qualify for a $4 million loan. And I don't think that's really what they want in the first place, because the debt burden over 10 years would probably be pretty crushing. If the bank would even afford it, they probably don't want to do it. So right there is the initial disconnect we have between percentages and dollars. They are thinking about it from a traditional methodology of 50-50 partnership or something close to it. They're also thinking about it from a reasonable debt level or debt burden that they're going to take on to do it and be your 50-50 partner. In which case, the amount of money they're going to qualify for and the amount of money they'd be willing to take on and survive the 10-year payback cycle is probably not going to yield a percentage of the value of your business that they want right here, right now, today. And that is critically important that you understand what their mindset is around percentages, being a partner. What does being a partner mean to them? Do they have it qualified in terms of percentages? Because that's setting an initial threshold and an expectation in their mind. And then to be able to relate it to the dollars involved with it can disarm some of it pretty quickly. That is not to say that you do not want them to be a partner quite the contrary you probably do but we need to start getting them comfortable at something less than a 50 50 partnership level based on the financial commitment and aspects of it around probably borrowing money here's where you can buy yourself a little bit of time if you're playing defense if you're playing offense, meaning you're the one who is initiating the conversation, you can still have the same conversation with an associate when you're bringing it up. Hey, it's great that you're interested in beco potentially becoming a partner. I need to figure out what's going to be the best way to make that happen, both for you and for me in terms of the risks that I've taken. But I, you know, it may not be that you are a 50-50 a partner or a 40% partner or even a 30% partner 
based on the value of the business. I don't want to set a bar that's too high for you and obligate you to take on a tremendous amount of debt right now and suffer under the burden of paying that back to a bank over 10 years when I know that you're trying to start a family, buy a home, replace a couple of cars, or you got kids in private school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So we're trying to do right by them to bring them into the ownership structure. We're trying not to crush them in the process. We're trying to reward them for their talents. And we're trying to hopefully help them feel like they're a valued member of the leadership team and, a, and a, they have a seat at the table going forward. Your ability to understand a rudimentary basis for the valuation of your business and relate it to some semblance of percentage ownership that they have in terms of expectation is critically important here because it's your best way for disarming what an associate probably brings to the table and brings up at the table feeling like they're justified when all too often they're not for a multitude of reasons. They're not going to qualify for it from a bank standpoint, first and foremost. The percentage that they're going to ask for uh, from, from you to become a partner, frankly, isn't fair based on the amount of risk that you've taken to get this far. And the third thing is, even if you wanted them to be at that percentage level, and even if the bank was willing to loan them that amount of money in the first place, they're probably going to drown under the debt burden to do it, the monthly payment of whatever that's going to be. And that's not a great thing in any, any way around. All right. So let's be comfortable qualifying what their mindset and their expectations are around percentages, relate it back to dollars because dollars are what we spend, just like I said in the compensation piece. And if you can do this, initiating the conversation and being proactive, you are in far better standing than if somebody brings it up to you um, unprovoked, I'll say, or unannounced is a better way of putting it, and and has you back on your heels and playing a bit of defense. We're we're hearing this from far too many people right now that think that if they don't bring up the the subject and they don't uh, uh if they don't initiate the conversation, then hey, we're all good. They're they're not thinking. The associates aren't thinking about it. That's not the case. They they are thinking about it. They're building up the courage to have the conversation with you. And they're going to bum rush the door and you're going to end up caught on your heels and probably going to have to have that conversation at the point when you least want to. So I would impress upon you to consider bringing in associates as partners somewhere down the road. If you do, you're thinking about different methodologies and figuring out what the, the best way, the right way for all parties is. You want to have a conversation with them around, do they potentially want to become a partner or not? It's no right or wrong answer to that. If they do, what are their expectations around percentages and dollars? If you can lead those conversations, you buy yourself a lot of time, you control the debate, and hopefully you're going to craft an outcome that is mutually beneficial, you and them. I hope I've given you a lot to think about today, because judging from some of the conversations I've had recently, there are far too many of you that, that aren't thinking ahead on these. And I think you owe it to yourself to do so. You're, build, you're taking a lot of risks. You're starting to build a valuable business. Don't wait to have the conversation with associates. And if you want to dig deeper into all of this, 
by all means, reach out to me directly or to Mark Flock, our Partnership Pathways consultant who handles a lot of these calls as well. Y'all have heard Mark on the podcast recently. Mark and I take a lot of joint meetings with people over Zoom or joint calls with people uh, over the phone, and we start to address some of these issues sooner rather than later. Don't wait for an associate to bring it up to you before you book a call with us, all right? If we can get out ahead of this, you can create a greater solution um, uh, for your uh, growing clinicians, and we'd rather you be uh, initiating the conversation into a degree playing offense, all right? So Mark and I are a resource for this. I hope you'll uh, consider moving this uh, to the, the forefront of uh, your priority list as we look at the end of 2023 and certainly start 2024. Stick around, I'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. So thanks once again for joining me on the podcast today, everybody. I sincerely appreciate it, and I hope I've given you uh, a number of things to think about as it relates to um, partnerships and, and your associates specifically. Before we wrap up today's show, um, I want to uh, I want to share uh, something that I have been a participant in here in Charlotte for the last 12 years. And I may have talked about this on the podcast a couple of years ago, or it might've been at the prior company, but um, I, I'm, I, I like to ride my road bike. I was about to say I'm an amateur cyclist. I, I don't even know if that's the case. I mean, I, during the spring and summer and fall, I probably ride about 150 miles a week. And I, I ride with a, a local riding team uh, here in Charlotte called Carolina Masters that are some uh, former racers, current racers and, and accomplished cyclists and, and, you know, enjoy doing group rides and solo rides and being on a bike is, um, uh, I guess an athletic endeavor that I pursue that I stick with. And it's, it's also when I ride by myself, it's a way of getting away, you know, and like kind of either getting out of my own head or getting in my own head and, and just, um, you know, it's, it's a discipline that I have, I guess. And usually, I ride for me, um, for my physical, uh, well-being and mental stability and everything else. Sometimes I like riding in a group to be with, uh, the group and a little bit of the camaraderie, but once a year I get to ride my bike, um, for others. And, um, specifically it, I participate, uh, the last, um, weekend in, July every year, I participate in something called 24 Hours of Booty. There's a about a three-mile loop around um, Queens University here in Charlotte that's known as the Booty Loop. And uh, about 23 years ago, 22 or 23, excuse me, 22 or 23 years ago, um, a guy named Spencer Luters, uh, who is a, a former amateur cyclist, uh, cat two racer, uh, and, and pretty well accomplished had a friend who was battling cancer. And I think the friend, uh, you know, survived uh, the, the fight with cancer, but didn't, you know, coming through survivorship and chemo and everything like that uh, was probably running a little bit short of, of funds and didn't know how to navigate that whole process of what survivorship looked like and literally where to go and what to do and what to expect in that next phase of, of their life. And 
Spencer is a, an interesting guy and he's a, he's a connector in life. He's an entrepreneur and he's, um, uh, got a law degree and he's, he owns his own business and does a lot of different stuff and knows a lot of different people and in typical Spencer fashion, you know, saw a friend suffering literally, uh, and said, I'm going to do something about it. And, I'm going to ride my bike for 24 hours around this three mile loop. And I'm hoping that somebody will, will, you know, make a donation for me to help my friend. Uh, and that's the way this thing started 22 years ago. And he rode for 24 hours off and on throughout that time and rode, I think it was like 250 to 300 miles or something like that. And some of the teammates that he had on his riding team came out to kind of pace him around the loop and give him water and give him encouragement. And, you know, for 24 hours from about 7 PM on a Friday to about 7 PM on a Saturday, you know, he, he kept the pedals turning and he ra raised money for a friend in need. Uh, and then the next year he did it again. Um, and more people started to participate on his riding team and they all started raising some money, uh, for, for this event. And then the next year, more people joined in and then it kind of became an event where there were a lot of people that were riding with him for 24 hours and then the they got a permit to block off the streets from the police and this was now a, a major event uh in and around queen's university queen's college at the time that was raising more money for cancer survivorship and then it became a movement and the movement is uh, the 24, what morphed into something called the 24 Foundation. And it, in those 20 some odd years, has raised north of $30 million for cancer survivorship. And it's an event that every year raises about 1.4 to, to 1.5 million um, for cancer survivorship charities um, and the uh, Levine Cancer Institute and Pediatric Cancer Institute here in Charlotte. Um, it is an unbelievable event and I am I'm blessed to be a small part of it. I'm a fundraiser um, for them and this year I, I finished in uh, I think third in total funds raised out of well over a thousand riders, thousand participants. Um, and it's just a, it, it, it's a, it's sort of become a rite of passage for me at the end of July every year. It's really hot. I don't ride my bike for 24 hours. Um, uh, but I, I do commit to riding over a hundred miles for the people who sponsor me and make donations. And this year, uh, I did that in a little bit over five hours early on Saturday morning and was out on the loop, you know, riding this three mile loop with hundreds of other people, some fighting cancer, some fighting for their lives, some with, uh, in, you know, honor of, of people who were in the fight, uh, some in memory of people who had unfortunately lost the fight. And the reason I bring this up um, is that, you know, all of us are working really hard to do what we do and we're taking risks to build businesses and we're suffering the, the challenges of growth and the, the turnover of associates and things along those lines. But I think you owe it to yourself as entrepreneurs to always try to be grounded to something that's bigger than yourself, something that you believe in. It's a, an intrinsic goal, not an extrinsic goal. And for me, 
getting to know Spencer Luters as well as I have. He's a friend of mine now. Um, and, you know, just seeing him at that event um, is moving. I mean, he didn't start 20 some odd years ago thinking this was going to become what it has, but it's absolutely become a movement and he's touched hundreds and probably thousands of lives, people he'll never know over that period of time. And, you know, I'm honored to be a participant in it. I believe in the cause, um, rightly or wrongly, I think that we will cure, we will come up with a cure for cancer in my lifetime. Um, and for those that there is no cure right now, at least hopefully what I'm doing supports Spencer and the movement that he created and the needs for the, the local cancer uh, community here in Charlotte as they go through the survivorship episode of, of their battle with a, a pretty insidious disease. Um, and this is something that, you know, every year I just get a, an opportunity to, to look look at, look back on, kind of reflect and, and maybe understand where I am in a life journey uh, and in building a business, being an entrepreneur like many of you, but also to kind of maybe get recalibrated or regrounded to what's really important and what ultimately matters most. And I thought that that might be something worth sharing for all of you um, on the podcast today. So I hope that you have your own uh, mission. I hope that you have your own intrinsic goals and i hope that you um, have an opportunity an outlet a cause whatever it may be uh, to participate in that that helps you in that sort of uh, cornerstone in your life if you've got questions about any of the subjects that i've covered today um, i encourage you to drop me an email at perrin at polaris thank you so much for being a listener and a subscriber we'll see you on the next episode